Welcome to I'm Not Dead Yet with Judy and Travis, a podcast about living an extraordinary life with extraordinary circumstances. Welcome to the I'm Not Dead Yet podcast. I'm your co-host, Travis Robinson. I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease at age 35 in 2014. And I'm your other co-host, Judy Yaris. My husband, Sandy, had Parkinson's disease for 18 years, and I was his care partner. On today's episode, we'll be sharing a unique perspective of what it's like from the Parkies' point of view on a topic that is frequently heard about um, from the care partner side of things. But first, hi, Judy. How are you today? I'm good, Travis. I'm doing all right. I've had a busy morning, but I am very good and ready to roll with this now. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm getting all my ducks in a row for the Living Artistically show. And that is, of course, Taken a lot of time. Yes, I know that's exciting for you. For those of you that don't know, Parkinson's Community Los Angeles is going to have an amazing art show and sale. It's our annual fundraiser and it's Living Artistically with Parkinson's. And in this exhibition, there will be uh, fine art from people with Parkinson's. And actually, we've made it a little more inclusive that there may be care partners or a family member that may have some art in there as well. So we are very excited about it. It's going to happen October 8th and 9th with a private VIP event on the 9th. And we are excited. So wonderful. I'm glad you're excited, Travis. I've seen some of the preview work that you've done on this, and it's amazing. And each artist does such incredible work, and it's so unique and so different. And um, I, I think it's a great opportunity for our community to really get out there and show awareness with Parkinson's creativity. And that's what it's about. Right. So I wanted to relay a story that happened to me and my girlfriend, Sarah, about a week and change ago. Okay. I was um, sleeping as I want to do every night, but not always able to do, and I had this really quite epic dream, Hmm. and I say epic in the sense of like a movie. It had all the cinemagraphic elements that you would expect from a large production, (laughs) and it was one that I clearly remembered 
which I have not usually, having been so tired. When I pass out, it's just like out and back. But this one I remembered. I was in a um, battle scene of a medievalish, you know, kind of timeline. Think Braveheart or Troy or <laughs> maybe Vikings or, you know, a Game of Thrones kind of, you know, horses and swords and shields and whatnot. And we were right there in the thick of it. And it was, you know, really intense like that, you know, scene from Braveheart where they're about to charge into the teeth of the enemy. And I'm there, my sword held high and just whacking away at the enemy. And then suddenly somebody jumps me from behind and pins my arms down. And I'm struggling to get away and reach them with my sword. And I let out a ferocious yawp, you know, war cry. And then suddenly from outside of my dreamscape comes this whiny, pissed off female voice <laughs> that says, you're yelling. Why are you yelling? Do you know you're yelling? <laughs> now, dear listeners, in fairness, that's not how my girlfriend generally sounds. But let me tell you, when she interrupted that epic battle, <laughs> It was all I could do to not shout at her. Of course I'm yelling. Can't you see we're in the middle of battle? And what the hell are you doing pinning my arms anyway? But she was apparently fast asleep and my battle cry woke her up. Yes. Is a story that you hear about from the care partners a lot. A lot of folks with PD are um, documented as acting out their dreams and uh, swinging punches or kicking their bed partners. And that's just something that. I hadn't ever heard it from the parky side of things, what it was like to have their epic dream so rudely interrupted <laughs> by somebody who was upset by a little yell. <laughs> well, as a care partner, and the reason that I'm laughing is... I have countless stories like this, countless, where Sandy, I don't think, ever was doing battle like that. But he did fight quite a bit. He would yell at people. He would have hysterical laughter at times. And 
for no apparent reason. And each time it made it so difficult for me to try to stay asleep. It would be impossible. And, you know, it, it's one of these Parkinson's idiosyncrasies, I guess we might call it, that occurred. It, it, it's something that is very startling and alarming. And as a care partner, when you are sound asleep and all of a sudden you hear this screaming, you think that something terrible is happening. Or when I would hear laughing, what is going on here? And Sandy had no idea. And once I'd wake him, oftentimes he didn't remember what he was dreaming. He didn't remember who he was fighting, where he was going, how he was running. And, you know, Travis, for me, I listened to that story and I go, this was a one big metaphor for life for you. You know, you had your sword and you're knocking down that Parkinson's, you know, that the enemy is <laughs> along the way. And so it, it's got to be difficult and frustrating for you, of course, because you wanted to finish that dream. No question about it. Yes, and I was busy. You were busy. And Sarah wanted to get a good night's sleep because she had to go to work the next day. So I'm assuming there definitely was a conflict of interest here at that point. Yes, there was. And I just thought it would make a worthwhile anecdote to share with our listeners that, you know, sometimes when we act out our dreams in PD, it is... Something that, like you said, was Sandy's experience. We have no idea what we're doing or what is happening. And other times, like with my experience, we know all too well what we are dreaming about. Yes, and and I want to say that there have been instances, and I have heard this from other care partners, where a person with Parkinson's can get rather violent during a dream, and they might lash out at you, they might hit you. Um, we had a very early experience where Sandy leaned over and was starting to, and I'm kind of laughing about it now. At the time, it was very upsetting. But then I put it sort of into perspective and realized, okay, this was a very random one-time episode, but he, he literally had his hand around my neck. And I thought, man, I really nagged him too much today. I really bugged him way too much, and now he wants to get rid of me. And of course, once I could see that he was sound asleep, and he had no idea what was going on, and I'm like, finally, I'm like banging on his shoulder and he looks at me very startled and I'm going, well, here's what I said. What the fuck are you doing? You know, and, like, and, and then he felt horrible. And so I knew at that moment that it was so disturbing for him to think that he possibly could hurt me on that level. I, I think the idea of not having control over your body is a big one. Right, Dan. There's the sleep paralysis Yes, your brain does deliberately so that every person does not act out their dreams. Yes. And that is something that 
gets broken down with Parkinson. It's a it's a tough one because you don't know if you're going to be the person that has it. And and in some cases, some people never have those really crazy wild dreams. But there are some people that have many, many really um, disturbing dreams like that. And you can discuss this with your neurologist and you can see a sleep specialist. And there are some things I think that they do in terms of training with biofeedback and things like that before going to sleep that can help you minimize some of it. But the reality is it is a part of Parkinson's. And it's a a part that sometimes you can laugh about and sometimes it's pretty serious. And, you know, we want to be mindful here that as a care partner, you make a choice if you're going to sleep in the same bed with your partner. And I do, and I did. I mean, I did for all those years. And you know, I, it's sort of like I thought, oh, well, I'm taking my chances, you know. But, <laughs> but the truth is, I I felt more confident that I could be there in case he needed something at that time. And it really is a difficult choice that, that care partners sometimes make when they make a decision to move to another room because they can't get enough sleep. You can't be an effective caregiver if you don't get any rest. Right. And so your person with Parkinson's may be up wandering around at night. They don't sleep well, constant interrupted sleep. For some people, they can just sleep through that. But there are many people that can't, and they don't feel that they get enough rest during the night to be able to get up in the morning and take care of their person and and be fresh and able to do that. So I always think it's a great idea to have an assessment, you know, of how you're sleeping, how the person with Parkinson's is sleeping. And, you know, for me, Travis, I would expect nothing less than you having a medieval dream with horses and swords. It's perfect. <laughs> like I could even see you with the, you know, with the armor on, you know, I, I see that image so perfectly. Because I think it's really about who you are, you know? Yes. And, and and Sandy was a very mild guy. Like, he did not have violent streaks at all. Just want to put that out there at, at this moment, too. That he was a pretty low-key person. And so it was hard to think that he was always yelling and screaming at someone. And, you know, there were these crazy noises that would happen. And I noticed that a lot of it took place in the early morning between like four and and six. And I don't know when this was for you. Yes, it was about that point in the circadian rhythm that is um, towards the end of my sleep cycle. Near awakening. Right. And that's what he had too. When I would be getting dressed for work, there was always a lot of conversation going on. And a lot of, I would always think, is he calling me? Is he talking to me? I'd walk in and nope, he was just out cold, but having a full on conversation and, and act, and sometimes punching it out or kicking and moving his legs. So it, it's funny that we, we don't, quite understand why this happens, what is causing it for each individual, but it is so common. And so don't be alarmed, folks. If you're newly diagnosed, you know, don't be surprised 
if you start doing this. And if you live by yourself, nobody knows, just you. You you get to finish out that dream. Like, who knows what Travis would have accomplished if Zero wouldn't have awakened him that day, you know? Right. It's hard to say, you know, where you would be today because of it. But but I talk in my sleep too a little bit. Someone, one of my kids told me that I, I sometimes talk in my sleep. So I think it may be just a certain personality type that does that if you're if you don't have PD. But I think it's not uncommon to do that. Probably the most disturbing thing when we talk about Parkinson's sleep is that people do sleepwalk, and that can sometimes be very dangerous. They don't, they go into another room. They sometimes leave their home. Um, There's things like that where they're still asleep, but they are out and about. And, And that to me is more disturbing, I think, when that happens. Right. I could see where that would be a reason to flip the lock around on your front door or maybe on your bedroom door. Yeah, something to keep it under control because I have heard about that. And I remember getting a call once from um, a care partner that was saying that her husband was, he liked to get up and cook in the middle of the night. And he was totally asleep. He was not awake. And she was always worried about what was going to happen. He'd go down the stairs, which to me was already scary that he's walking down the stairs fully asleep. But then he'd go into the kitchen and she'd hear pots and pans banging. And she was always worried that he was going to set the house on fire. So I think it's just one of those things that we have to be mindful of what our situation is. And and make sure that we're protecting ourselves and protecting our loved one who may not even know that they are can be a danger to themselves. Right. That's fair. Yeah. So, so. Tra- Travis, you've been traveling a lot this summer, and I, I want to do yeah. a little check-in and see how you're feeling since you've been traveling so much and you've done some big mountain climbs and you've had some adventure travels. And I want to get a sense so that people understand, you know, when you've come back from these trips, how have you felt? Are you still, Um, do you feel more exhausted? What's the reality for you when you put yourself out there for five days or even for three days? What happens when you come home? um, So when I come home, Generally, if it's been a trip like on a climb where I'm backpacking, I feel better but tired. It's Mm. like that um, weird post-exercise PD feeling that I'm better able to move around and I don't have nearly as much stiffness, but I'm also tired and don't want to move around as much anyway. Right. So what do you do about that tiredness? Are do you are you willing to take naps or do you just power through it? What how do you handle that? Because I think that would be helpful for people to know. 
Um, that is an ongoing challenge with me, Judy. I have talked about my, um, coffee drinking on this show before, but I don't think our listeners probably have an idea of the scope and scale that I put coffee to use. (laughs) We have an espresso machine here at the house, and I pull probably... 10 to 15 shots a day. Are you kidding? 10 to 15? No. Oh, my God. Okay, now I I am going to qualify this for those of you that have never seen Travis. You've never seen me. I'm just grazing five feet. Travis, how tall are you? Six one. Six one. Okay, so so there's a big difference. I can do one shot of espresso, and I'm flying for the day. Okay, <laughs> I don't drink caffeine every day, so I, I'm I have a lot more sensitivity to it. But and I've known a lot of people that are big coffee drinkers. I've never heard anyone say ten to fifteen shots of espresso in one day. Yeah, you should have seen me when I used to be a barista and have access to very good espresso all the time. I would regularly challenge folks to have a 21-gun salute with me, which would be 21 shots of espresso. Well, so have you ever related this? But I, the funny thing is, I guess what I want to say is I've rarely heard you talk about not sleeping. So this is one of the things I want to say. For me, drinking coffee, I might fall asleep, but I wake up like 20 times during the night. From It causes some other reaction for me. But I've never heard you really consistently complain that you have sleep issues in terms of staying asleep or having problems with that. And have you ever thought about that? Do, do you have that? Do you not have it? I mean, people with PD talk about it all the time. They can't sleep through a night. I have not had that problem generally. and. It is even less likely to be related to my caffeine intake. Mm -hmm. And I share that for a couple of reasons. Number one, I've always been the type to uh, be able to have five or ten shots of espresso or um, the Armenian coffee. Mm. or um, any such strong coffee, Cuban coffee or whatever, and then go to sleep right away. That has never been an issue for me, but it is incredibly useful when I need to prop myself awake to be able to Enjoy a good espresso and keep going. It's amazing. I I mean, I think it's fantastic that that has worked for you. And certainly the antioxidants 
that are in the coffee. And we know in some instances, I can't remember when that study came out. It's been a while um, about coffee being beneficial for people with Parkinson's. Yes, it has some neuroprotective qualities. Unfortunately, they're pretty fuzzy and ill-defined. But Statistically, folks that drink a lot of coffee, which they say was, you know, more than four cups per day, um, are less likely to get Parkinson's. And Uh, they don't know why that is. Folks that smoke tobacco are also less likely, dramatically less likely to get PD. They don't know why that is either. I remember hearing that recently, and then the the doctor that said it said, and we don't recommend that you start smoking and drink <laughs> tremendous amounts of coffee, you know? So... I I think it's something that is out there and they're doing some research on this and it's just how the neurons are affected. It, it's a fascinating um, area and I, I guess we'll see more about it as it goes. But yes. you certainly are a great case study for coffee. And yes. <laughs> And I had, and I do hope that the coffee you're drinking, I mean, I think there's a lot of it is not, I, I know that you're into like a couple good things, good coffee, good whiskey, that those are important to you. So I'm assuming that um, the coffee you're drinking does not have a lot of chemicals and is not over-processed and over-roasted and all of those things. So Yes, and is generally organic. Mm-hmm. When possible. Right. Um, and I just wanted to put it out there that part of the reason I drink so much espresso is because I've shared on this show um, how I've had bladder issues mm-hmm. and drinking an espresso coffee gives me all of the caffeine with a very small amount of water. Right. So it's deliberate in that it's a Parkinson's management on two levels. Mm -hmm. One is to provide me enough caffeine to wake up, and the other is to reduce the amount of liquid I'm intaking. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think that's pretty interesting how you've managed to figure that one out. Yes, but that is what I have to say about the fatigue. More on that and our next episode. Okay, great. I'm looking forward to it. I have lots of questions for you. (laughs) Okay, Judy. Thanks. That's a wrap. Bing.